All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. This morning, Daniel Bellamy is here to talk about sports performance and his journey to being the director of sports performance at Howard University and then bringing that down here to the great state of Texas at UTSA. Victoria Morris is joining us, but due to her shifting roles due to, you know, people quitting and things like that, she is now coaching track or doing strength and conditioning stuff. So she'll be joining us in and out. And if she's noisy, it's because she's kind of transitioning, having a Zoom on her phone. But Victoria set up most of these uh, the podcast in the series where we are giving voices to black athletic trainers and it's a pleasure to meet Daniel and hopefully as I go to San Antonio to the workshop uh, I can meet up with Daniel at some point uh, and you know have a meal or something like that so Daniel it is my pleasure to welcome you to the sports medicine broadcast this one is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Daniel and then his last name is Bell like you ring a bell and then Amy, like a girl's name, so Bellamy, Daniel Bellamy. And it should be pretty easy if you were to Google it. You can find it on the UTSA website as well. But this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Daniel Bellamy. Daniel, welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Um, let's get started with your story. We were just talking about how you're native, native Washingtonian. Is that correct? Yeah, Washingtonian. Uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I was born and raised in uh, in Washington D.C. Um, my my both of my parents worked in healthcare or work in healthcare. My mom is a actually a pediatrician. She went to Howard University for medical school, um, and she she's in private practice right now. But I was her residency baby. I was their residency baby, um, and I was born at Washington at at Howard University Hospital. Me and my sister were born there, and um, it, it, it's you know it's crazy how things work out that I ended up working at Howard University Hospital and uh, working with uh, one of my mom's classmates who they didn't know that until sometime later, he kind of put two and two together after I'd already been hired, um, Dr. Terry Thompson, who's a, a orthopedic surgeon up there. But um, I'll kind of go through uh, my story. So I went to uh, North Carolina Central University for undergrad. Um, I uh, uh, took a job straight out of school. I, I, went, I, I was in an uh, undergraduate AT program, Katie credited AT program there it was, uh, at that point, it was the, I want to say the first and the only Katie credited AT program among HBCUs. And so I, I really, really was intentional and really wanted to go to an HBCU and went to North Carolina Central to pursue my career in athletic training. Um, got the opportunity to work with Sean Thomas, who's the, the head athletic trainer there uh, in his first year working football. And we were, you know, we were an undefeated team uh that year but um he's the one who uh, uh connected me with the staff for the san diego chargers uh during my senior year uh james collins is that was a head athletic trainer at that point matt summers and uh, damon mitchell were the assistants um and i was able to do a, a summer internship with them because of his recommendation um after undergrad i went to now i, I proposed to my wife and I, I said, man, I need a job. I really would love to do an internship, but I need a job with some benefits. And <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to take the, the first job I can um, that's going to give me that, give me a stable salary. And so I, I, I was an um, uh, athletic trainer for uh, Archbishop Carroll High School. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the presentation, too. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and get started, if you, if you don't mind, because that, that kind of segues into 
a presentation. So my presentation is really, uh, it's, it's, it's about the, the health and performance model, or you may say the sports performance model. Um, but the first thing I'll say at the outset uh, is like a wise man once said, like Socrates said, I, I know that I know nothing. I, I, I am not an, an expert in data science. I'm not an expert as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I am somebody who has been uh, perpetually curious about things um, and has had the opportunity to pursue a lot of my curiosities and my passions uh, with good people and connecting people. Uh, one, one of the things that I've heard at a, at a sports performance con, uh, conference and summit that I went to was by a Google data scientist who said, of all the data that we are collecting, we truly understand about 1% of it, which kind of floored me, but it also, anybody who's started to kind of dip their toe into uh, sports performance and analytics and things like that, it's easy to be overwhelmed by all of the different metrics and numbers. And really my experience has been about connecting people and it's been about uh, being driven by an insatiable curiosity and just bringing smart people to bet together to do good things for student athletes that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. I've also been very fortunate and I can say fortunate now, I didn't feel fortunate when I was going through it necessarily, but I, I've been very fortunate to, to learn to do a lot with a little. And so my goal uh, in presenting today is just to give my experience, give an overview of my experience and my perspective on the health and performance model, but also encourage ATs who may be overwhelmed or even apprehensive about, you know, uh, uh, stepping into the health and performance model or uh, a data-driven model and in just, just encourage them to embrace leadership because I believe ATs are, are well-equipped um, and they're really the best equipped in, uh, to, to be at the forefront of health and human performance. And just to provide some practical advice based on wisdom, not from me, but from other people. I've been, you know, one of the other things that is very important is that in knowing, knowing that you don't know everything is that you, you, you have to have a little bit of humility to ask really, really good questions. And I've had, uh, I've been fortunate to have a lot of really good mentors and people that I could ask and experts in the field and, you know, meet a lot of really interesting people and cool people who, who do some really, really cool and interesting things. So going back to kind of my story, because uh, it, it kind of frames where, where my curiosity started. So during my NFL internship, uh, Matt Summers, who's now the director of sports medicine at Louisville, um, he uh, integrated a lot of strength and conditioning principles into his rehab. Uh, I, 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 for the first time, really seen uh, a group of injured guys who were who continued to work during practice who were continuing the condition who were not just focusing on their injury but focusing on their overall health and continuing to 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 exercise and train despite their their limitations obviously in a safe way but in a way that uh, allowed them to continue to remain conditioned and that really piqued my interest and so when I went to Archbishop Carroll High School, which was the, the first job that I took, I really, really had four to six jobs, right? So I, I was the athletic trainer, the lone athletic trainer at the high school for about 250 or 300 students, I believe. Um, I, during the mornings, I worked as a PT aide um, or rehab tech, essentially, um, at the hospital um, that was right down the street. Uh, on the weekends was the uh, head football athletic trainer for an arena football team that was in DC. Um, I was a, a teacher. I taught a kinesiology course. 
at the high school. And I, uh, I also uh, was a part-time track and field coach. So I, I definitely understand how you feel, Victoria. I was a part-time track and field coach and strength and conditioning coach. Um, so rather than discourage me though, it just gave me a, a ton of opportunities to do a lot of interesting things to kind of understand and look, cause I, I didn't know I was, I was a thrower. I threw in high school, but I was, I was a part-time thrower's coach and a part-time triple jump coach. And as you can tell, I don't look like I've ever triple jumped and I had not triple jumped. So I had to really learn how, what, what were the basic biomechanical principles and, and techniques around that. Um, but it, again, just foster curiosity. So my first college job, I was in a, I, I did that for, for about three and a half years. And I said, okay, um, I really wanted an opportunity to have spend more time with my patients. Um, and, and, uh, it wasn't a ton of time the way that that, that high school schedule was, was constructed. I said, okay, well, let me try a, a, a college job where, where students have a little bit more control of their, 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 their schedules and things like that. Uh, so I took an assistant job at Howard University. Um, there were only three of us total for, for the entire department. Um, and so my responsibilities and accountabilities were helping with football preseason, which I already love. Um, I was assigned to men's soccer, men's basketball, men's and women's tennis. And I actually didn't put on uh, men's and women's track and field. So I did. I, those are my sport accountabilities. Um, I was fortunate that uh, our facility, you could get to anywhere um, from one spot, essentially. Uh, but during that process, even though I had a ton of sports that I was responsible for and a lot of athletes, that's uh, a place where I, I became curious about the injury prevention side of athletic training. I saw we had quite a few ACL tears among our men's basketball program. Um, and I saw that the, the sort of post-op to return to play protocol that there was a there was a still a gap between them being clear for participation and them being them performing optimally them them being back to where they were prior to their injury and I also noticed that in it when you're in a setting that you have so few staff and so many student athletes uh your strength and conditioning coaches are your are one of your greatest allies because they can help you build robust and durable athletes that don't spend as much time in the athletic training room. So then you can focus a lot of your, your time and effort on the care of student athletes um, that, that need your help. You can focus on each individual patient as opposed to trying to triage a thousand cases all at once. Um, and so I took it upon myself to, to integrate a lot of uh, uh, preventative strategies, just simple things like a, uh, more functional warm up. Our guys were kind of walking through the warm up and not paying attention and very lax of days of cool. And so I said, Hey coach, you know, would you mind if I came up with a warm up routine? And we didn't have a strength and conditioning coach to travel with the team either. So we, um, I would do that on the road as well and, and try to integrate recovery strategies to make sure guys, because when you're a small school, you play your, your travel schedule's crazy. Um, and you, you may be away for 10 days and play two, three, uh, large power five schools and those are going to be tough trips and so you, you your recovery is key so i was able to kind of take the lead on that um despite you know again what people will probably say is a is a, a is a difficult circumstance I, I i feel fortunate that i've had that opportunity and then after i was the assistant at, at howard university i was the director at coppin state university i had one assistant <laughs> and we uh split we didn't have football we were primarily basketball and men's and women's basketball track and field were kind of the big sports and so uh, we, we split the, the male and female sports down the middle. 
Um, and so I had men's basketball, I had men's track and field, I had baseball. Um, and so uh, during that time, I was also, uh, uh, me and my wife had our second child. And so I was pursuing uh, a master's degree as well. So I was uh, enrolled at Cal UPA while I was director at Coppin State University. And because of these experiences and because of my curiosity in these areas, um, I, I decided to pursue injury prevention and performance enhancement because I, I again, I didn't know a lot. I, I was just asking a lot of questions about how, do those, how, how does my world as an athletic trainer, how does it mix with where, where, are, the, where, are, where are the synergy points of uh, athletic training and injury prevention and strength and conditioning and performance enhancement and nutrition and things like that? How does it all fit together? Because I know it should fit together, but how, what, what's a framework that I can work with to help integrate a lot of these different things and get the expertise of a lot of different areas together. And so I was able to pursue that master's degree and really uh, implement a lot of the things that I was learning um, from that program into our program at Coppin. And then uh, I was invited to come back as director of sports medicine at Howard University. And so I went back uh, as the head football athletic trainer and the director of sports medicine. Um, our staff had grown to, I believe, four people at that point when I came back, um, and it was five when I left. And uh, our strength and conditioning coach at the time was uh, was Rodney Hill. He's currently at uh, LSU. He's uh, one of, actually one of my former athletes when I was uh, when I was there the first time. And so he um, um, had gone on to Mercer University and. Uh, became a strength and conditioning coach. I believe done, had done an internship at Penn State. And we had a lot of ideas. We had a lot of great conversations about how we could have shared initiatives and he just didn't have the bandwidth. And so what I was also doing is trying to troubleshoot how do we get him more resource so that he can actually do uh, some of these things that we're talking about because we, he just didn't have the bandwidth and we just didn't have the bandwidth to do a lot of things that we were planning to do. And so um, he moved on and actually uh, uh, took a job with the New York Giants. I can't, can't fault him for that. Um, and uh, I was upgraded by my athletic director uh, to the director of sports performance. We had done our pitch to him and he really, really, you know, had bought into the vision that we were, we were, uh, we were selling him. Um, and so my first job, one of my, my very first job, because uh, we had hired a new head football coach who had come from University of Maryland and University of Virginia. My first job was to hire the strength and conditioning coach that would work for an FBS level coach. So there's no stress there um, at all. Um, but it was a, it, it, I, I, funny enough, it was a nightmare. It was, it was, it was, it was a absolute, the process itself was a nightmare and I can't get into all the details. Um, but it was a very, very stressful process. And, but it actually turned out really well. So the, the guy that we ended up hiring was a guy named uh, Kenny O'Mary, who is currently the director of strength and conditioning at William and Mary with my former head head coach. Um, uh, but that was, you know, that was a, a very difficult time to actually turned out into a really, really good outcome. Um, but with, with, uh, with Kenny, we actually did a lot of what I'm going to talk about today um, because what I understood was that the, one of the major issues uh, in trying to, to, to create a sports performance, a high performance sport model, it isn't necessarily not having the technology. It isn't necessarily uh, any of those other things. What it really is, is about people being siloed and not necessarily having the tools or not, maybe not being willing 
to share information and collaborate. And so it's really about building those relationships. Um, and so uh, we were able to do quite a few things and do in services and come up with uh, shared protocols, um, share courses. Uh, we, you know, created a refueling station, um, uh, use technologies like Fusionetics and Catapult and Tracer and Zephyr and uh, use Google Sheets, uh, Google Forms, sorry, Google Forms to do uh, uh, RPEs, uh, RPE surveys and wellness surveys and things like that. You know, so we, we were able to do a lot of different things just because we, we, our offices, I could, I, I took a, what was an old compliance office. I said, you know, cause it was the compliance office had been flooded and they said that there was mold and all the rest of that stuff. And I told my AD, I said, listen, th this room is right next to the, to the weight room. If I can fix it, if I can fix it, certify that it's safe, um, and make sure that it's operational and safe for everybody. Can I have that space? Because I can make that into another training room. My, AD said, yes, it wasn't, they didn't give me a budget to do that. They just said, hey, if you can fix it and you can make it work, you'll have that space right next to the weight room. And so I, I did that. Um, it took a full summer to figure that out and bring the health department in and, and all the rest and, and figure out where water leaks were coming and get all that fixed. But it was important to me because I needed our spatial relationship to, to mirror what our working relationship was going to be. I, I wanted us to be seen as the two halves of, of, of sort of the base of what is the sports performance model. And it, it helped kind of reinforce what we were trying to do philosophically um, because we were so close to each other and we could have constant communication because we were still very small staff. He had two, it, there were two strength and conditioning coaches and I believe there were five athletic trainers at that point. And so we needed to be in constant communication um, about different things and it, it helped us get on the same page and explore and do a lot of, I, I would say a lot of great things uh, with, you know, with not minimal resources, but less than less, lesser, lesser resources than a lot of people are used to. Um, so in terms of the sports performance model, um, you, you may hear it called the, the high performance sport model or you or sports science model or a health and wellness and performance model. But I would say the definition for, uh, what we're talking about, the working definition that I've come up with is an interdisciplinary collaboration between healthcare professionals, sports performance specialists, academic research and data science uh, that leverages data expertise and technology to improve health and athletic performance. And the reason that I say that athletic trainers are best situated to, to, to kind of lead the charge in this is at the, the bottom and the foundation of that model is, uh, is function and health, right? You, you can't necessarily, your, your athletes don't perform if they're not adaptable, available and healthy. Right. The, the, the best ability a lot. One, someone once said the best ability is availability. Right. So if, if your athletes are not available, if they're not adaptable, if they're not resilient, then they're not going to be able to perform. But also if they're not healthy from a from a from a holistic standpoint, then performance is going to suffer and the student athlete experience is going to going to suffer. The other layers of performance capacity and skill and execution. Those are sort of the things that you see displayed. But the machinations behind the scenes that help get those student athletes to the field and make sure that they have a great experience while they're at your institution. Uh, the foundation of that is function and health. So uh, what I've told our staff and what I, what I, what I kind of preach to uh, anybody uh, who asks is that I, the way I see it is that if you're going to have a, a sports performance or a health and performance model, and I've seen this from other people, is that you're really going to have four pillars or four domains, right? And at the very top of that, is patient care. We're, as athletic trainers, we are very, very familiar with 
patient care. The, the second is athletic performance. You're going to have an athletic performance arm or a pillar or a domain. You're going to have a data and research arm, and then you're going to have an educational arm, and you're going to use the expertise and the tools uh, that are there. And the expertise and the tools may exist, but the issue is that these these things be remain siloed. That the people who are experts in those areas don't coordinate, don't collaborate, don't communicate. So the athletes who are under your care don't get the best of their expertise. But these four arms, these four pillars or domains, however you want to say them, they are they're they're interrelated and are interdependent. Each content expert in those domains has to see the benefit of the relationship and. Uh, to their individual goal, whatever their departmental goals are, but really to the overall goal of the department, which is success on the field, success off the field, and a great experience for your for your student athletes. And so the culture must be conducive to to growth. Like people have to have a growth mindset. You hear that a lot nowadays, but it's really about being creative and adaptable and continuing to push the envelope. So key elements just in the leadership of a department like that or in a, uh, 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 a departmental structure like that are going to be trust. And I'm going to talk a lot about trust towards the end. Trust, respect, honesty, integrity, and communication. If people don't trust each other, if they don't trust the expertise of the people that are a part of this collaboration and this team, you, you really can't do anything. Um, if people don't respect the expertise of the other individuals in the team, then you really can't get anything accomplished. If you're not honest about uh, what you're doing, if you're not honest with your feedback, um, then you really can't get anything done. If you don't have integrity with what you're doing, if you're not doing, trying to do the right thing with the right intentions, then you can't do anything. And if you're not communicating well, then none of this fits. And you can really put communication next to each one of the ones that precede it. So you now have to have trust in your communication. You have to have respectful communication. You have to have honest communication. You have to have integrity in your communication. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And so the patient care arm, and this is just kind of a snapshot and an overview um, um, of that. The patient care arm of what I'm talking about has its primary content experts. And there they, are the athletic trainers that you may have PTs, you may have physicians, you may have mental health, you need mental health professionals and nutrition specialists and other related healthcare professionals. But the expertise in that area that comes in that area is the delivery of sports medicine services, rehabilitative care, emergency care, uh, injury risk and assessment, uh, injury prevention, recovery strategies, exercise physiology, uh, liability, injury surveillance, healthcare administration, again, and, and nutrition. But th those, those central uh, uh, areas of expertise uh, are the things that I think, if you're talking about a high performance sport model, the, the fact that athletic trainers are trained and already curious and already exploring uh, growing education and growing information in that area, and we're already presenting as leaders in these areas, um, makes, it, makes us well suited to, to be leaders um, if we have the right tools, if we, are, if we have a very uh, clear vision, if we have a very clear leadership uh, style and, and presence, and we're being honest and having integrity and having respect, and we're able to make those connections with people um, we can be we we can be very much leaders in this area, and so some of the relevant data and some it's not comp the other thing is this is accessible. Like the, a lot of these things are not necessarily complicated or things that we've never heard before. The relevant data and information that we have we we have patient records, we have patient reported outcome measures, we have patient satisfaction. 
even things like uh, encounters, uh, the number of encounters is, is relevant data. Um, injury rates based on stratified, based on team, sex, uh, body parts, setting, whether it be practice, games, lifting, et cetera. Um, we track, we've been tracking hydration for I don't know how long. We've been uh, assessing body composition, uh, assessing behavioral health, and uh, adjusting and monitoring medical care costs since forever. So these are relevant things that can help uh, inform and create uh, communication, shared communication between the other members of the of the high performance or the sports performance, health and performance team. So there's a lot of overlap and interdependence. So one of the things I'm, uh, I wanna start with is just talking about the overlap and interdependence between patient care and athletic performance, because that's the most of my experience is the, 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 the collaboration between uh, sports medicine professionals, really athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches or sports performance professionals. And some of the areas that we're, we're, we're that are very, you know, popular right now um, are athlete monitoring. That's a lot thing that something that a lot of people are, are getting into. It's been a part of uh, a fully integrated part of sport in other countries, especially in Australia and uh, in, uh, in Europe. Um, for a very, very long time. And a lot of the best research that you're gonna find and a lot of the content experts that you're gonna find in those areas are gonna come from there. Um, and so whether it be internal and external loading or, or stress or hydration or sleep, uh, athlete monitoring is an area where there's a lot of overlap between strength and conditioning professionals and sports medicine professionals. But if we look at it as healthcare data, if we're looking at it as wellness data, then excuse me, the athletic trainer is, is obviously uh, somebody who can be a field uh, expert and leader in that area. Injury prevention, uh, the injury prevention uh, initiatives, uh, we increase the training, like I talked about, we increase the training availability for uh, strength and conditioning professionals and we uh, optimize performance potential, right? Because if somebody is not, again, if, they're, if their function is not, if they're dysfunctional, then they're not able to perform optimally. Uh, injury surveillance, again, with something that we've been doing for a long time, our, our, our performance specialists uh, and our strength and conditioning coaches want to know what their impact uh, is on the student athlete. What is their, what is the, the impact of their training modality on their ability to perform, but also their resilience. Uh, they want to build robust student athletes. They want to build robust athletes. And so um, knowing where, uh, where injury trends and epidemiology may point to some deficiency in their training or in biological power or adaptability or resiliency is very, very useful information for them so that they can modify uh, or enhance their training. And even nutrition initiatives, again, the, uh, uh, nutrition is, is something that it, uh, athletic trainers uh, uh, are knowledgeable about, but when you, when you employ or when you oversee uh, nutrition programs and you hire or you oversee uh, nutritionists and uh, people who specialize in dietetics, um, an athletic trainer with a healthcare perspective is going to be the, really going to be best served to help navigate what those objectives are, what the vision is, what the, what the, what the, um, what the job is for uh, somebody who's, um, somebody who's occupying that space. And so more just examples, and I'm trying to give a big sort of 30,000 foot view of these things is the, the overlap and the interdependence. So the, the big thing is that the, 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 the experts in each area have to see the benefit 
of the other person's expertise? What do they, what does this uh, relationship uh, do to enhance my ability to do my job? How does it enhance my outcomes? And so from a patient care standpoint, again, the, the sports performance benefits, but they benefit us through helping with athlete monitoring. Again, a, a great strength and conditioning coach or a great coach, a sport coach, because sport coaches are all, also in that uh, category, can help you keep injury rates low or they can fill your athletic training room up. And, and we've all seen that, we've, we've been doing it for some time. They can fill your athletic training room up or they can empty it out. And so uh, they can help maximize your, your work by being really, really good at your, really, really good at their jobs. Um, they can help with injury surveillance. Again, when we, when we go through athlete monitoring, we talk about wellness surveys and RPEs. Um, one of the things that, that came up in, in an instance when I was at Howard as our strength and conditioning coach, he got access to our wellness surveys and he would look at them sometimes before I did. And he actually saw that there was a student athlete who was reporting concussion symptoms through our wellness survey. He didn't say anything to me, but he saw that they were reporting a headache and nausea and fatigue and all these other things. And he was able to identify that person and say, hey, you might want to take a look at so-and-so because he's reporting this. So they can help with the injury surveillance side and nutrition initiatives. Again, while we we don't have the expertise. We're, we don't have the licensure usually to, to, to give nutrition advice. But if we have a relationship with our strength and conditioning professionals, they want to enhance performance through nutrition. And so they have some level of knowledge and understanding of how just on a on sort of a macro level, nutrition uh, and general nutrition uh, can, can, can optimize the training that they're doing. And we benefit them uh, through, well, really, we, they benefit us through the reduction of, of, of injury rates and the reduced workload on the healthcare unit, and they help us integrate the return to play uh, process. So from the, uh, the, the, the return to play process is huge because, especially if you're talking about a high performing athlete, there's a, there's a, there's going to be, there's going to naturally be a gap between uh, returning to play where a student, where a coach says, yeah, he's, he's back, but he's not, who he used to be and man it's like he didn't miss a step and that's where we all want to be we want to be in the second category we want to be those people who the the the, the athlete experience is man i feel like i didn't miss a step I've, I've been through all of this i've been through this traumatic injury but now i feel like i haven't missed a step and our strength and conditioning professionals can and our and our and our coaches can help us cross that gap by our collaboration and our communication the second one is uh, patient care data and research um, and I'd say I, I, I summarize that by saying evidence-based evidence practice and practice-based evidence. Um, the, the, the data and research arm, they're going to help us validate our clinical practice and uh, make sure that it's based on the best scientific evidence and proven effectiveness because you, you, you want to make sure that you're giving your athletes the best care possible. And the way you, only way you do that is if you're doing it with some level of research and uh, scientific, scientific information backing it. And it reduces ambiguity. One of, one of the, the hardest things that you have to overcome as an athletic trainer when you're first coming out is the return to play decision and the ambiguity around a lot of things. How, like, when am I supposed to return it back? What is the best thing to do? Well, how should I, uh, how should I uh, integrate this rehab principle here? And uh, what's the best decision in this scenario? And you can be overwhelmed. You can, be, you can go through the, uh, the paralysis of analysis as a, as a young athletic trainer uh, just because of the ambiguity, but the research and data that's out there can help inform you. So there is less ambiguity. You can stand on your clinical judgment and say, hey, this is the best 
thing for this patient. This is the best thing in this scenario based on the ev available evidence. But we enhance the data and research arm also by, by adding to the body of evidence and validating uh, anecdotal evidence. We, we create new standards of practice through that collaboration that uh, you know, they get access to experts who are working on the bleeding edge of health and performance because athletic trainers are always pushing for what's new, what's best, what's best for our patients, what's new. We, we don't have necessarily a lot of the, the financial incentives um, but it also, we don't have a lot of the financial constraints because we don't, we're not saying, okay, I'm only going to do this service because I know there's a billable service attached to it. We're saying we are going to do this thing for our patients because we believe it's best for them. So let me find what's absolutely best for them uh, in a given scenario. So the overlap and interdependence kind of benefit of patient care and education. So patient care uh, benefits from education by creating better clinicians uh, through rigid, rigorous academic work. We need better clinicians who are best prepared to be out in the field. Uh, education, they benefit, our educational arm really benefits um, because their curriculum can be based on the practice of ATs in the field and they can build mentoring relationships and relationships uh, for ATs that are coming out of their programs. We're, we're enhancing patient care through knowledge. The patient care and performance arm benefits and rely on each on the research and data arm primarily uh in our scenario it's been through the access to technology that helps validate and enhance what we do that, that we've kind of leveraged and built those relationships uh with our with our uh research data and education really uh arm that help um us get access to things that we normally would not have had access to um uh, they need to do research. They have to increase their, 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 their publishing, their publications, um, and they need cohorts. Um, and they want to know what, what questions do they need to be asking? What's actually relevant to the field? What are, like, what are our key performance in indicators? What are our KPIs? Um, and they get access to a great cohort of high-performing athletes that they would not have other, otherwise had access to. And so the next portion I want to talk about is just kind of what, what are some examples of how we've, you know, shared information and shared uh, 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 initiatives and collaborated um, to actualize all the stuff that I'm, that I'm talking about. So one of the simple things is, is just continuing it. So continuing it is a great opportunity uh, for everybody who's a part of the sports and uh, health and health and performance model to, to get on the same page, to have a shared project, to uh, share information to, and even create a shared language. So when I first got here, uh, the summer of 2019, uh, we did our blood flow restriction course with, uh, Owens recovery science. Um, and one of the things we did is we invited our strength and conditioning coaches to be a part of that. They, they weren't an additional cost. It didn't cost us anything and they weren't going to get the certification, but it allowed them to understand when we integrate this modality into our rehab, this is the exercise fizz behind that. This is what we're trying to accomplish. These are some of the ways that we can integrate what you do into our rehab process uh, so that you know, our student athletes get the best outcome. This past year, this past summer, we had the, the privilege of having Claire Frank, um, uh, uh, who uh, teaches a DNS, the Dynamic Neuromuscular Stabilization course. And we did it with our strength and conditioning coaches again, because we were, it was all about uh, lumbar stabilization stabilization in the lumbopelvic hip complex and making sure that you have dynamic uh, stability. And that's necessary for not just rehab, 
but it's necessary for coaching in, uh, in training. It's necessary for uh, sports specific skills. It's something that our strength and conditioning coaches need. It's something that our rehab specialists need. It's something that the athletic trainers need to understand. And now we have a shared language and even coaching cues so that when student athletes go through their return to play process, there's a consistency and a continuity of care all through the process. And we also did AT in services. So our, we, we invited our strength and conditioning coaches uh, down uh, to our athletic training room and they invited us in to uh, their athlete, into the weight room, not the athletic training room, to go through their, basically their strength and conditioning one-on-one course that they go through with their interns. And they, you know, our strength and conditioning coach, Ryan Philo, I would say he's the best in the business at what he does. Uh, he's a great guy and he's a, he's an amazing coach and just a, just an amazing individual and a human being. And he was able to explain what is, what their philosophy was. What are some of their training outcomes that they're looking for and how do they go about that? What is their, what is their macro cycle, their big overarching plan look like? What does their meso cycle look like? What is that? How does that inform their micro cycle every single week and every single and every single phase? And how do they teach a squat? And how do they teach a, a hip hinge? And how do what what movements do we value in that? And it, it helps us understand what they're trying to get across. And so there's again, there's a continuity because that's one of the things you want in order to have sort of a, a streamlined process for return to play and for, uh, you know, a good student athlete experience, you want to have a shared language and continuity. Uh, so student athletes know that everything's on the same page. Another thing that we've done, and, and I, I apologize for how small the print is, but this is a section of, and this is actually something that started um, when I was at Howard, we came up with what's called a progression regression chart. And it's really, really helpful when it comes to understanding strength and conditioning, the strength and conditioning portion, but also planning rehab. So, one of it's essentially a chart that shows you hey these are the valued movements these are the movements that we value in training because we treat training as preparation for sport and we treat it as something that makes them adaptable and durable and resilient so that they can accept the stress of the sport um so how do we in rehab integrate some of the things that are a part of our training so that we can not just return them to sport but we can first return them to training return them to running and so that they're best integrated into the process so that they can optimize the outcome. And so we have valued movements here and we just say, okay, hey, this coach likes to squat, this coach likes to clean, this coach likes to bench, he likes a horizontal press and a vertical press and a horizontal pull and a vertical pull. Okay, what is the most complex version of that? And what is the entry fee? Like what is the simplest version of that that I can start integrating into my rehab process that's like the movement you're trying to get to so that they're essentially practicing and building on that motor competency that when they get back to training, they again, it's like they never left. They, they've been doing this skill, this motor skill in their rehab process with the same coaching cues, with the same biomechanical uh, uh, points of emphasis. Um, and so, they, they, they can sort of seamlessly uh, integrate back into uh, their training and into their sport. We've actually integrated this into our education arm as well because it's a part of a curriculum that we're handing out and it's a part of our rehab philosophy for the athletic training staff. It's a part of our continuing ed. It's just understanding, uh, not just for us, but also for our strength and conditioning coaches. Hey, this is what, hey, you need to have a very clear philosophy of what movements you value and what are the most comp motor comp the most complex versions of that 
and what are some very appropriate regressions of that so that the athletic trainers can integrate that, but also so that you can modify um, when they're in the weight room. Because our, our philosophy is we want to use movement as medicine. We want to make sure that people are moving as much as is as appropriate and, and possible um, because we think there's tremendous benefit in continuing to allow them to move and, uh, and participate uh, as much as possible in their sport. Um, so some shared projects, and I talked about the progression regression chart and return to play and things like that, um, and integrating valued movements. But we've, we've, we've had an opportunity through our uh, kinesiology department and the research and the data that they're uh, interested in to integrate uh, athlete monitoring technologies, uh, GPS units, uh, and things like that. And really the, 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 the team and the athletic trainer that spearheaded that was our, our women's soccer athletic trainer, Shelby Dell, and uh, 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 one of the faculty here at UT Health, uh, UTSA is uh, Dr. Kelly Cheever. And he was doing a ton of research in uh, human performance and injury prevention. And they wanted to see uh, if they could uh, validate some technology that was very, very new uh, in the field of GPS, uh, uh, GPS units, uh, GPS monitoring, and, but also figure out if there were key indicators that they could pull to say, okay, this is uh, increased injury risk here. This is, um, actually where an, an athlete got injured. This is how we mitigate some of the stress and strain of sport. Um, and then that kind of caught fire as we continued to push and, and expand that relationship. And now our men's and women's basketball teams use inertial data and biometric monitors. Um, and our football team is, uh, and some of our other, other, other sports are using velocity-based training um, as well with, uh, with um, uh, units that are attached to the bar that, that uh, measure bar speed and power output and things like that, but also on the, on, during their field work, integrating GPS technology. And our director of rehab, Marie Charpache, is uh, working with myself and some other colleagues to, to come up with algorithms that help us quantify what our acute to chronic workload ratios are in the rehab setting so that we can then figure out how we mitigate uh, injury risk when we return people to play so that there isn't such a huge dramatic spike uh, in stress uh, when people return return to sport. Um, but again, I, I say all of that, um, we are not experts. We are, we are people who are just very, very curious about the things that we're investigating. And my, if, I have, if I've had essentially one, one skill in the midst of all of these settings, it's been bringing smart people together and uh, allowing them to do really, really interesting things. Um, so kinesiology, essentially, they collect the data and, they, and it increases their ability to, 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 to publish material and add to the body of information. So two other ones that I'm really, really proud about, and these are pictures of our student athletic trainers and our residents. And uh, so we, we, we uh, through our collaboration with our uh, Kines department. Um, we um, uh, have student athletic trainers who are uh, going through in services here with our athletic training staff, with some of the other professionals, learning a lot of this information, being exposed to it, and hopefully going out and, uh, and, and becoming great clinicians. Um, but also having mentors now who are in the field who they can reach out to and, and, and um, 
and rely on and get advice from when they're in uh, whatever setting that they choose to go. We're also uh, in our pilot year for our, uh, uh, our residency program. So through our relationship with UT Health, um, uh, to the right of this, to the left of the, the, the picture on my right <laughs> is uh, Marie Charbonnet, who's our director of rehab, who's actually um, helping us to start our residency program. These are two of our residents who help with uh, help here on, on at UTSA's campus, and they're they're taking a lot of the information I'm talking about and essentially applying it to rehab. How do we apply the high performance sport uh, principles to rehabilitation, and what does that look like? Um, uh, and so then those professionals, though they may feel like they're drinking from a fire hose because of all the didactic stuff that they have to take on, plus, you know, a lot of the, the, the job responsibilities they have, I can tell you that they say, I, I feel like I'm going to be very, very much prepared to apply what I've, what I, what I've learned uh, into the field. Um, and it, it clears up a lot of the ambiguity I talked about. Uh, because one of the major anxieties that we found with young ATs, again, is, is is planning rehab and programming rehabs and making return to play decisions. But because of the curriculum that they're getting, the information, not just from the rehab experts, but also from uh, the data collection and the research and some of the other educators, they're, 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 they're getting the best of all of those departments and getting a really robust experience that's gonna make them really, really good clinicians for their patients wherever they go uh, into the field. So I've been talking for a long time and 45 minutes really blew by really fast. Um, but bottom line for me, um, again, this is a people business. It's all about people. It's all about treating people well and bringing smart people together. Um, trust is key. Again, our, our football coach, and I love that he says this, he says, trust is truth over time. Um, doing the right things, doing having integrity and doing the best for your patients over time builds trust uh, in the process and it builds trust between the members of the team. Be but create an environment where uh, communication is safe, where you can ask questions without questioning is what I say all the time. Questioning is very, is, is, is counterproductive and not conducive to uh, healthy communication in this environment. And I think that's one of the things that gives uh, athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches and coaches and, and people in research and data and education apprehension about even uh, forging these kinds of relationships is that the ego kind of comes up and uh, we don't want to be questioned. We don't want to uh, feel insecure. We don't want to feel like somebody's asking us about asking us to validate what we're doing. But understand that people can ask questions without being questioning and also frame your questions in a way that you're not questioning someone's integrity or their expertise, that you're genuinely trying to understand their perspective and what they're trying to do and what their process is. Yeah, allow people in this model, it allows people in this model. And the last thing is uh, it allows them to lead on a problem based on their expertise, not ego. What, what, what is the nature of the problem that we're looking at? What is the nature of the project that we're looking at? And who is the best content expert for that problem, period? That's, that's essentially how we assign projects. Who is the best to, to lead this? Not who is the biggest, baddest person in the room that wants to take on every single task, but who is actually prepared based on their expertise and experience and really their passion to take on uh, to take this on. Uh, practically speaking, it, you, the use of tool, use the tools that are at your disposal. I talked about um, uh, 
creating RPE surveys to using Google Forms, which costs you absolutely nothing and gives you a lot of really, really good data. But consistency in collecting information, even in medical documentation, consistency is much better than robust data that is collected inconsistently. We, you can't really do much with inconsistent data. Even if it's really robust, you can have a million data points. But if you're not collecting it consistently, then it's not going to be helpful. So find a process that works really well for your setting based on you know, the resources that you have available and use that and collect that data every day. Even if it's just an RPE, which is essentially how, did, how hard did you think the, work, the lift was today? How hard did you think rehab was today? How hard did you think practice was today? Wait, I mean, it may, it's in, in, in some ways, you know, uh, not as popular, but even, even measuring hydration through uh, weighing in and weighing out, those things done consistently over time yield better outcomes and help you make uh, better decisions because you have more, more, more solid information to, 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 to work with. Continue to be curious, ask questions, and connect smart people. Connect with smart people, but also connect smart people together. Um, who are willing to work and who are passionate about uh, their areas of expertise um, because that's really how all of this stuff uh, that I've been really, really fortunate to be a part of has come to fruition. I have a few extra resources that I, that I hand out. Um, Ted Spurlock uh, gave an S S NSCA talk that really helped form uh, a lot of my, uh, my ideas about sports performance and how to make sure that you know it, it, it's about getting on the same page, making sure that you have shared goals, respecting people's expertise, and some practical insights on how to do that. Um, that's in my PowerPoint. Um, Shona Housen is an amazing researcher. She's a, uh, a, extra, a recovery physiologist out of Australia. Um, and one of the articles she was featured in is an article about uh, complementary uh, uh, recovery, uh, psychological aspects, training, conditioning, and tactical uh, portions of sports. So how do all these pieces fit together and complement each other? Um, and while you can get into the weeds and the nuts and bolts, I think that the, the biggest thing you can take away from that article is really that all of those aspects can need to and can complement each other when we understand what the other group is trying to get accomplished and we tailor what we're doing so that they're not they're not juxtaposed, they're not contradictory. They're actually enhancing and optimizing what each portion is trying to do. And also an article that we, we send to our, our AT residents um, on uh, periodization of rehabilitation is really, really helpful um, as well. So I feel very, very fortunate and thankful just for the, you know, I've been very blessed. God has blessed me tremendously with uh, being a part of some really, really great staffs and meeting some really amazing people. And I just, I, again, I, I am no expert. I am, I'm no superhero. I don't have any superpowers. I feel like I, I'm a, uh, at this point, I'm in disbelief by all the amazing things that are going on around me and all the people I've been around and the family that I've been able to, uh, I've been able to have in the midst of all of this. My wife has been with me uh, through this entire journey. We met in undergrad and it's just been an amazing just an amazing, amazing experience. And I'm tremendously grateful to God for all of all of this, even even the difficult things that, that, I've, that I've had to go through that uh, have kind of led me to this point and these opportunities. Being 10 and 0, that's, that's an awesome thing to be um, here at UTSA. So birds up. And I thank you guys for uh, 
having me as a guest uh, on uh, Sports Medicine Broadcast. Hey, thanks, Daniel. One of the things that I noticed here on your side was you said connect smart people. And you said that kind of a couple of different times, a couple of different ways. And recently we talked to Dr. Matt Coots and he said, if you're the smartest person in your circles, in your, in your group or whatever, then you're leading poorly. Right. Yep. And that's exactly what you're saying is get the smart people and connect them, allow them to work in their strengths and do their thing. Because I don't like, I don't like analyzing data, but it's easy enough for me to collect it and to put it in you know, as I'm doing it. So then, okay, well now we have it. Now, if I had somebody here at the school that loved collecting data, or maybe I can talk to my friend that teaches statistics and say, Hey, here is the data. Can you right. do a project, you know, every six weeks or whatever it is and have, have your kids say, well, this is, these are injury things. And so that, I, I don't know why I haven't ever thought about that before, but it's something that really would be okay. Hey, these kids are doing stats and so it's it's really a cool opportunity victoria no yeah i mean i'm like writing all this down because i literally am now a strength and conditioning coach for our junior high girls like that's what i was doing at the start of this and so it's like i don't have anybody i mean i have a strength and conditioning coach at the high school who's also the powerlifting coach is our defensive coordinator and so I actually have a question like what do you do when you're kind of in charge of it all I mean like I would like just like Jeremy said I would love to go get my stats teacher right now and be like all right here's this stuff get your stats class it's a college class give them a project for this week's weeks but like I don't have anybody to put the stuff in for me. I don't have anybody to, you know, make those forms and make sure that my athletes are filling them out every day. And it's, it's overwhelming as it is. So what do you like, what would you recommend for like the solo ATs out there or even just the secondary high school ATs in general? I was there. So I, I, <laughs> I empathize and I would say, start with the big rocks, right? So you're, 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 a lot of these things are not necessarily essential. If you are a strength and conditioning coach, your number, your number one job is to keep the kids safe, right, during training. That's still, as an AT or as a strength coach, is to do no harm, right? And so your point of emphasis as their strength coach, essentially, is to integrate a really, really robust injury prevention program. So you say, okay, what are, they, what are we trying to do, right? What are they trying to get to, and what can they do on a daily basis or on, you know, a semi-daily basis, maybe three or four times a week that will not hurt them, but I know will enhance their performance. I know that squatting is healthy. I know that lunging is healthy. I know that vertical pressing and horizontal pressing and pulling and uh, core strengthening, those are healthy things. So if I don't do anything but those things over time, with my, you know, understanding exercise physiology principles and, you know, that kind of thing, what you want your sets and rep schemes to be. If I don't do anything but those things over time, then I will not hurt them, right? The other thing I would say is draw on the expertise of people who are in the field. So you have, you said you had a coach at the high school saying that, hey, I'm trying to get this done. What are some, what are your thoughts on this? What do you, I want to try to do you know, what is my, what are the kids availability for strength and conditioning? Okay. I know they can do this. They have, you know, two or three times a week or four times a week or five times a week. They have an hour availability or 30 minutes availability here. What can I get done that, excuse me, prepares them to participate and reduces their risk of injury. And that's really what you want to do. Your, your, your primary goal 
is to do no harm and to prevent injury. No more than that, because it is then a part the relationship between you and the coach to enhance performance because they understand the tactical, technical side of those things. You just want to build a generally robust student athlete. Everybody, everybody can benefit from being stronger, faster, and a little more conditioned. Everybody can. Everybody, it's it, it's those big rocks that you want to focus on. And there's a lot more detail to that, but in the short time that we have, I would say that that's kind of where you start. Is what is what does my injury prevention program look like, and then build out from there. Okay. I would say because that's essentially what I did. I said, okay, uh, I know my jumpers need to be explosive, but I don't want to jump them into the ground. Right. Let's do some plyos. Let's do some lo some low stress plyos. We'll do some more a skips and bunny hops and and bounding and on softer surfaces, and we'll we'll do some. Uh, I know I want you to get, we'll do some very slow technical counter movement jumps where I'm teaching you how to jump. I'm teaching you how to load like that kind of thing. And I'm breaking it down. So I'm, I'm balancing some high volume, high intensity, maybe some high volume days with some high intensity days and then some really, really technical days. Um, and that just came from a lot of reading and asking people in the field. Cause I, I didn't, I, I like you, I didn't have it. And I didn't have a ton of mentors either. I was really at that point, at least in my career, I was just, okay. Um, I understand from my rehab, my therapeutic exercise class from undergrad that I can do this to increase, uh, 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 knee stability, hip stability, uh, lumbar stability. I know I can do these things. Okay. And I know you need to jump. So let me, let me figure out what are some safe ways to get you to jump. Uh, let me figure out some face safe ways because I was I was keep teaching the throwers too for you to vertical press for you to uh, horizontal press and I know I need to counterbalance that with a horizontal pull and a vert a vertical pull and a vertical uh, uh, a horizontal pull so how do I integrate what I understand about exercise fizz and therapeutic exercise and injury prevention into into just again really doing it, it's consistency. You can take really, really basic things and do them well over time, and you're going to get much more benefit than trying to come up with some really, really complex program that you can't follow, they can't follow, you're kind of unsure about um, that's going to be super inconsistent. So consistency on really on your big rocks um, is what I would focus on and leaning on people that are already experts in, the, in that area. You're, you're not trying to... You, you are not teaching kids to become Olympic lifters or world-class bench pressers or squatters, right? You are literally saying, okay, these are basic functional movements that we know we value in sport. How do I do this and load it progressively in a way that's appropriate, similar to how I would do in a rehab program? I hope that's helpful. No, no, 100%, definitely helpful, for sure. I want to go to the RPEs and the RTT, so the, the relative perceived, perceived exertion or the readiness to train. That's something like I, we've talked about before on the podcast, something that I would like to implement, but we we don't uh, for whatever reason. And so one of the things that we do when athletes come in is we say, okay, if 100% is perfectly normal, Daniel, today, what, and 10% is just barely above dead, where are you today? So that's kind of like the, the readiness to train idea. Um, so for somebody like Victoria, who has to do all of that stuff by herself, right? It's a lot for me to collect it and enter it, but it's manageable. And we use rank one sport. And so we type all that stuff in so that 
even yesterday I said, oh, hey, um, Victoria, you were at a two yesterday, but you're at a four pain today. Uh, something going on. Yeah, you know, I, I was walking without the crutches today or this, you know, or whatever it was, or the workout yesterday was really tough and I'm really sore, that kind of thing. Um, what are the most basic ways that you can see somebody in Victoria's situation, um, limited resources, limited time, pretty much overworked in a secondary setting, implementing the either the readiness to train or the RPE into their daily rehab uh, treatment plans? Right. And I think that the biggest thing, whether you're at a low resource, you're a single AT, or whether you're at a power five institution, is compliance, right? That That's the toughest part of all of it is are the, are the athletes bought into this as important? And part of them being bought in is coaches being bought in. So some of that is just conversations with this is important because, again, making sure that they see the benefit of what's going on. If we track this, I understand that we're going to make sure that our kids avoid as much unnecessary injury risk as possible. They're going to be more available to you, and I'm going to maximize my time in the athletic training room to make sure that they're back on the field, available, robust, all the rest. Um, the second thing is I, I, I am a – what I did, again, when I was – because when I was working football at Howard University and I was the director of sports performance, my first two years there, I was the only athletic trainer for football. So it was just me for the entire team. And so one of the things that I was able to do is we had a messaging system through teams, through teamworks, not teams, so many teams calls in the last 18 months, but we had teamworks that sent out an automated message. And so all I had to do was create the link and every, every day it would just get sent to the kids to their phones. So anything that you can send to a phone with a single link and say, do this every day, do this every day, and then you can review it. So every, every response in forms, in Google forms, can automatically be put into a spreadsheet that you can review each response, or it has charts that you can review each response, depending on how you want to look at it. And so you can do a quick, because what I would do, because again, I didn't have a ton of time, I would just do a quick kind of run through of the numbers. I would go, okay, 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 six, seven, seven, eight, 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 four. Okay, highlight that. <laughs> eight, eight, nine, nine, ten, 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 two. Okay, let me look at that and ask more questions. Because most of your responses, you're you're assuming that most of your responses are going to be relatively well they're going to be okay I'm, i feel okay you're looking for the outliers of kids who are rating low or re, rating suboptimal consistently like why are you a six over the last week like why are you like you're usually an eight but now you're a six like why are you a six in terms of your stress level or fatigue level or however you want to ask the question or why why was today's practice a 10 when you normally say practice is a seven um, you're looking for those outliers. And then at the end, when there's some amount of room to breathe, then you can go, okay, let me look at comprehensively what that looks like. How does that, how do, how do their RPE or wellness responses match up to my injury incidents? Like where, that, that's more of an end of the year, summertime project, at least if I was in your situation that uh, sort of the daily and weekly use of that would be okay. Where are my outliers I need to address now, okay? And at the end of the year, okay, let me, when I take a, a you know, a, 
uh, a 30,000 foot view of the program, how did it line up to injuries? Like what, what, what did that look like in terms of their RPE cum accumulation over time? What did it look like in terms of their response to that sort of training over time? And did that, did it lead to injury? And in what setting? Like what, they were a six for five days. And then on Saturday they had, they tore their ACL, right? Was it a traumatic ACL injury or was that a non, uh, non-contact injury? And, and maybe there's some neurological aspects to that. Maybe there's some neural fatigue and uh, aspects to that. What were they going through? One of the things we asked, I think with all of this, one of the things I've learned, I've been really encouraged by is that a lot of the data just helps you ask better questions, just questions that you wouldn't normally have even thought to ask. And it's okay if for a long time, that's all it allows you to do is just ask good questions. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. It doesn't have to be actionable. Every single data point doesn't have to lead to a certain action. Um, but I would say that in the immediate, that would be how you use it. You just kind of, okay, well, do these things, uh, do they relate to something? One of the ways, oh, that's what I was going to say. One of the ways we do it is we, we look at the, their response to training, their mechanical load, and then sometimes their velocity-based numbers. So they're, they're normally moving the bar a certain speed, and then it drops all of a sudden. And we just want to ask the kid, this is the same amount of weight that you've been doing the last four weeks. Excuse me, yes, your speed and your velocity is way lower. Is everything okay? And we had a kid who said, yeah, I hadn't slept. Uh, my girlfriend stressing me out. <laughs> um, you know, I had to cram all night. And again, it's, and now we know, okay, well, yeah, let's go ahead and you need to take a nap. Like you need to, you need to, re, you need to de-stress, decompress. Let's drop this weight on the bar. You're still going to work, but we're going to drop this weight so that you can, you can, you can, uh, uh, perform what you need to perform. Go to the athletic trainer. Let's do some recovery stuff. Get you in a, get, you know, get you in a recovery room, or or have you just take a nap somewhere? Because that's the most underrated modality for recovery, um, is sleep. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Somebody finally. I tell gets our guys, it. it doesn't matter how many <laughs> fancy tools that we get for recovery. If you don't sleep, eat, and hydrate, it's not gonna matter. It's, it 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 means nothing. I don't care. How many, how many thousands or millions of dollars, whatever institution uh, puts into a, a recovery room or recovery modalities, those are helpful if you're already doing the things you're supposed to do. It's only as good as, as your own, uh, you know, consistent recovery with hydration, nutrition, and, uh, and sleep. It, can it, you give me a second so I can take you into my coach's office real quick and you can sure. just repeat it's everything it's you just I will tell you, and you can ask any of these players. Yeah, I have told our star players, yes, you can. Oh, I want to recover. I want to get this. I want to, I'm like, have you slept? What are your meals like? What is your hydration level right? And we got urine charts all over the place, like in crazy spots. I like got a water fountain, which I was like, why do we have a, a urine <laughs> at a water fountain? I get kind of the correlation, but that you shouldn't be checking your urine at a water fountain. But in any event, like, <laughs> we have that because it's, it, we need, want it burned into their brain that I need to know what my hydration status is like. Uh, because if I'm not doing that, it doesn't matter what Dan or Nick or my head football athletic trainer or one of our other assistants or our chiropractor or masseuse, whatever the other two toys we have, doesn't matter if you haven't slept, you haven't ate, you haven't drank. And none of that matters. You, you, you're burning candle at both ends. If, or when you're doing the RPE or, or the readiness to train surveys, do you do one for all athletes or do you do one for football, one for volleyball, one for basketball? 
So I've done it multiple ways. So at, at, at UTSA right now, we're not into the RPEs for football yet. I think that's sort of the next step is how do we, how do we measure our mechanical load with our internal load, our, our mechanical slash external load with our internal kind of physiological load. And I think that's a big, uh, that's a big aspect of trying to under, truly understand the, the body's response to a certain mechanical load. Cause a lot of people want to make the decision strictly based on the mechanical load. Like, oh, they've done too much work. But like, wait, wait, wait. How have they responded to doing that amount of work kind of thing? Uh, the team that does that the most consistently is, is our women's soccer program. They, they are, I mean, it's daily. And when I was doing it at, at Howard, we focused on football just as kind of our pilot group. Because, again, if you have 400 athletes, then a fourth of your athletes play football. So you, you, you get to the most bang for your buck a lot of times is when you use football as kind of your pilot group. Um, but once I did it with football, we, we, we had an additional survey that went out to men's women's basketball and a few other, I just shared it with the staff once we had kind of worked out a lot of the kinks, um, so that they could do it as well. I will say the most compliant group was, I want to say women's basketball, men's or women's basketball. They were the most compliant, which again, that's the only way you get good data. Football was, football had about 50 or 60 guys that were super compliant with it and then some that were like okay 10 10 10 10 10 10 10 and then some guys were like oh i forgot um and so uh i i, I would say it, at a high school if i had had to do it at a high school i would still try it with a pilot group uh, uh, honestly and then kind of build it out as you as you continue to work through it and, and refine your process um on what you're looking for and how you're implementing it because doing it with everybody that that's just that can be complicated that you can get a lot of different bugs doing it that way. And they're also on different training schedules as well and different comp competitive seasons. So their, their, their workloads are going to be different. Their, their, their response to the workload is going to be different based on when they're see when they are, you know, our, our, our response to train our football players response to training during bowl season is going to be a lot different than our men's women's basketball uh, uh, to training at the beginning of, the preseason and those are going to be two very, very different, uh, you know, different responses, different training loads. So you probably want to specialize and, 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 and work with one sort of pilot group first and then have individual, uh, I would say individual surveys if you can. All right. So when we talked with Carrie Wood about the mental, that the category that designates will work as well too. If you're just designating, if you don't have the time for that, just designating, Hey, this is your sport, like indicate your sport, your men's basketball, your women's basketball, your track and field, your football. And then once the once they've given their responses, you can stratify the data yourself and say, OK, this is my football group. This is my basketball group. This is my, you know, so on and so forth. Sorry about it for interrupting there. So when we talked to Carrie Wood about the mental health surveys and so she would send them out every week and you're talking about sending out the RPEs every day. Uh, and then if you're doing the readiness to train is it seems like it's overall I'm like, okay, I'm going to send out, you know, something every day, something every week, something every other day for the athletes. Like, is that just adding to their stress and burden? Is there, have you found any sort of, um, no, that's a great, that's a great, that's a great point because you, you can't measure something without affecting it. Right. So you, 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 you want to be very leery because our kids are, especially in our setting, our kids are getting kind of poked and prodded and tested like all the time. And so we want to be very 
careful when we integrate technologies like that and what the workflow looks like for them to do that. We want it to be very, so one of the things that I try, I, I caution people, not necessarily against, but be very, very careful about monitoring is something like sleep, right? You have a very, you have a type A student athlete who is very, very much about getting tasks done. And then you start measuring their sleep and then telling them they're not sleeping enough. That's just going to negatively impact their sleep. Right. And so you got to be very, very cautious about what the burden is in measuring something. It, the burden to you and the burden to them, because if it's a burden to you, you're not going to collect it consistently. And if it's, if it's a burden to them, then you're just going to add stress to them. I, you know, you don't want to take a group of soccer players and gauge their readiness the you know, 20 minutes before a match. That's, that's not, it's not going to be helpful for them. You know, you want to give them some space away from the mats to kind of, you know, say that and be honest about that. Cause they're already very anxious about their performance. I would say the same thing for even football. Like you don't, you're not asking, you're not asking your, 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 your football team how ready they are for a game in a survey the morning of a game. Um, and so what I would say is find a workflow, find a time in their year that's low stress for them. So it becomes in a process that makes it more automatic. Right. And as many of those screens as you can combine, the better. Um, if, if you can combine an RPE and wellness into a single screen with only a few, it doesn't have to be 50 questions. It's only it, it, just a few questions takes you a minute or two to do. If they do it honestly, then that, that is, that is, again, consistent, helpful data. And if say you can't do it every day, say every day is just a lot, right? Maybe every other day, maybe your wellness you do once a week and your RPE you do on uh, only on certain training days, maybe every other training day or something like that. So that you're, you know, you're, you're being mindful of what of the stress of measuring those things are. And I'd say it's find a time in the year in the training cycle that's lower stress in the preseason, in the summer, in the summer, in during just off season conditioning or, you know, things like that, where they're not, they're, excuse me, only thinking about training. They're not thinking about training plus school, plus family, plus game, plus championships, plus coach, plus, you know, find that time to integrate that where you can sit down and say, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. I want you to try to do this this many times a week. And this is how I'm going to use it. This is how I'm going to communicate it with the coaches. That that decreases the stress for you because implementation is key. You, you you implementing a process in the middle of the season, as we all have probably done, is very, very stressful. Um, but implementing a process during the off season when you got more time and more is more relaxed, that that's a way different thing. And then they're 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 accustomed to doing it so that there's less. There's, you have to do less troubleshooting. Like say you have a technology issue. Oh, I didn't get the link. Oh, I don't get the text message. Or oh, you work through all of that when it's a lower stress season. And then by the time you're into the, the, the thick of things, it's an automatic process. Oh, I know when I wake up, I, boom, 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 I do this. Oh, I know before, right after practice, I pick up my phone and I do this. And one of the things that's to our benefit is our kids are constantly on their phones anyway. So it's not like if you if you do something that they that puts them on their phone, it's not like you're adding something to their daily routine by
by asking them to get on their phone and they're already on it. You're just saying, let me maximize your time on your phone and do something helpful, not just something just, you know, scrolling and, you know, wasting your life. All right. So I can see you got fans. I can see through the reflection on your, your cabinet there. Something like that. You got people waving. I just trying to get your attention. So oh, there, there's one thing I would like to come back with at another time and, and speak to you again. In your bottom line, you said ask questions without questioning. And then you talked about the ego. And so I, don't let me forget that I would like to talk to you with, about this at some other point and, and just talk about those bottom line keys there and especially focusing on ask questions without questioning. And how do we do that? in athletics um and then we'll go from there so victoria do you have any last questions for daniel before we let him get to his adoring fans um the only thing i have is do you have any advice for like young professionals or anybody just entering the career like how do they start those conversations with their strength and conditioning coaches with their nutritionists with even their sports coach like how do they start off having good communication right Uh, i would say oh first is volume right like volume with your coaches especially volume is really really helpful like constant communicate like i'm just checking in with this checking in with that and i would say one of the things that's been really really helpful for me with strength and conditioning coaches is legitimately going into the weight room with them and asking them questions about hey why do you do this or just hey can i can i sit in and watch you work can i add and then can i ask you questions most people if you give them an opportunity to talk about themselves as you can see by the two hours we've been on here they will continue to talk. They will just talk and talk and talk and talk. But that's beneficial to you because you're now hearing the, the whys and the what's and what they're, how they think through it. And I would say with strength and conditioning coaches, one of the things, especially in the collegiate setting, and I'm sure in any other setting, the one thing that strength and conditioning coaches respect more than anything is somebody who goes in the gym and works, works out. It sounds really, really silly. It sounds really you know, duh, of course, but I've built the best relationships with my strength coaches by going in the gym. I don't have to be the strongest guy in the gym. I don't have to put up a bunch of weight, but they, they are, they, it endears you to them when they see you work, when they see you give effort. And that's kind of how they, in their, in their minds, a lot of times they measure work and they measure effort. They measure work ethic. They measure, you know, how bought in somebody is to a program and to a space. And it just, it, it just creates so many just casual and organic conversations in that space. And even if you're saying, hey, I w- I'm trying to do this kind of lift, can you look at me and tell me what I'm doing well and what I'm doing wrong or what you think I'm doing well and help correct me. So you come in, you, if you come in with humility and just kind of ask questions, that's one of the things I talk about when I, when I say ask questions without questioning is literally with a, with a sort of humble, curious tone then it's a lot easier to have those conversations later when you have to say, hey, I really need to talk because from an NCAA standpoint, our strength and conditioning coaches, they have to operate under, you know, the, 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 the prevention of catastrophic injury risk, prevention of catastrophic injury uh, uh, guidelines. So then you have to have those real conversations about, hey, I need to make sure that the stuff you guys are doing is, you know, not exposing our kids to any increased risk. But if you've built that relationship capital where they know you're genuinely interested and that you respect their expertise and that you respect what they do and you're just you're interested and you're coming to them as an expert in the field as opposed to I know everything and I'm going to tell you and you're doing this wrong. If that's your first interaction with them, then that that's not safe communication. But if it's your first interactions with them are genuinely curious and inquisitive, 
then it's usually much more inviting to more and more conversation. All right, Daniel, very best way to get a hold of you. Uh, so my email is uh, daniel.bellamy at utsa.edu. All right. Victoria has been on here a couple times, following her on social media, but she likes Twitter, which is Morris underscore AT. I'm also on Twitter, Mr. Jeremy Jackson. And I think we really could talk for a good bit longer, but I, I can see you got stuff to, to do. And I know Victoria has got lots and lots of extra duties added to her daily. So this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Daniel Bellamy. And again, his last name is Bell, like you're ringing a bell. And then the word the name Amy, so Bellamy squished together, Daniel Bellamy, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Daniel Bellamy. I have a link to his email address, probably uh, the links that he had in the PowerPoint for his extra resources I'll put in there as well. And then a way to get a hold of me or Victoria. So Daniel, I appreciate meeting you in person rather than just on text and email. And Victoria, I appreciate all the work you have done to gather this list of athletic trainers that we can learn from. This from. And again, Daniel, if you're going to the Trinity University Sports Medicine Workshop in January, I would love to meet you, or if you're free and available, but I know you said you'll have bowl games coming up and things like that. So best of luck to you in that. For Jeremy, Daniel, Victoria, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks.